0: Good afternoon, everyone. Dr. Nigro again with the next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Uh, Another great week. I'm, again, very humbled doing this program, and even more humbled by the number of people from around the United States who are coming to see me for neuropsych evals. Um, Many of you have booked your plane tickets, are staying um, in the Boston area or the Plymouth area, which is close to Duxbury, where... Julia and I live, and our private practice is located, so uh, a lot of gratitude uh, to everybody who's listening, and as I've said before, I never imagined uh, starting this podcast we would have as many followers that we have, and um, I really appreciate all the text messages, all of the emails, all the phone calls, and uh, that's the reason I put my cell phone number out there I just try to do at least my modest version of God's work in trying to impart knowledge and and, and demystify mental health. Um, you know, as a neuropsychologist, my, my primary role is um, diagnostics, figuring out what's wrong psychiatrically, neurodevelopmentally, uh, neurocognitively, um, I I don't do much therapy, but I do I do have a small therapy caseload, and I, I treat primarily borderline personality disorder. So again, th- th- those of you who've been following this program know that I I do all of these episodes off the top of my head. I contemplate usually on Sunday. You know, Julie's here. You know, she pops in. Again, you guys who follow, she's in the house somewhere, um, but. Somebody had contacted me this week, Now I'm going to combine a few different topics today um, because I think they're all very relevant and pertinent and something that I come across, I know Julie comes across in our daily clinical practice. The first one, uh, I think it was somebody I had correspondence with uh, via text messaging about what do you do with a loved one, or someone in your social network, your your familial network, um, your your either your proximal relationships, your your extended relationships, when somebody is struggling with a mental health condition, whether that's a psychiatric disorder, uh, a neurocognitive disorder, uh, substance abuse. And they don't want help. And we call these individuals, uh, not a clinical term, but something I would refer to as, these are the help rejectors. These are the people that are you can clearly identify as having a problem. But um, for, I think, several reasons, they are not willing to do anything to confront the issues that uh, they're burdened with. Or the issues that they have that are impacting other people in their lives. And, and, and it, it, my response to the individual I, was basically like, I think she asked me, like, why would somebody reject help? And I think there, there are several plausible explanations. One, denial. I don't believe I have a problem. And if you go back to the revised stages of change model, the original one was done by Prochaska and DiClemente. The revised model was done by Freeman and Dolan. And this is the trans-theoretical model of stages of change. These are individuals who are kind of in the really the anti-contemplation stage. They they are completely. Oblivious to the fact that they have a mental health condition, and even more oblivious to the fact of how it's impacting their lives, and you know, mental health it it, it really is. Um, it's much more than just an idiosyncratic issue, because as as social creatures and as 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 just individuals functioning in a society where we interact with other people that pathology will manifest itself regardless of, of what that specific disorder is but there are you know my response to her was she's like well, why why would somebody reject help again denial uh egocentrism a belief that you know what i can julie with, with the water a belief that I can handle this on my own. I don't need anybody's help. I can fix it myself. Um, Not necessarily narcissism per se, um, but narcissistic in the sense of, uh, you know what? I got it. I can take care of this. No one needs to worry about me. Um, Also being playing the role of a victim, I'm beyond help. Nobody cares about me. Nobody calls me. Nobody was there for me when I I I needed help. You know, bemoaning. You know, the victim role is so played. It it it's aggravating. Um, but I think you know if, if, if I tell patients when that I see for therapy, you have and this is from a cognitive behavioral and rationally motive perspective. You have you can complain once. I'm fine with that. But if you complain and you do nothing to take any kind of proactive steps, independent of whether those steps lead to something beneficial or proactive, I don't want to hear it. I do not do not come into my office every week and bemoan the same issue if you're doing nothing about it. And again... The recipe for change from a cognitive behavioral perspective is somebody being uncomfortable, saying, "I'm tired of thinking, feeling, acting this way." That is the only way an individual will change from a psychological, psychiatric perspective. And I think Julie confronts this as well um, from a help rejecting standpoint. Of fine, I'll try, I'll try medication because my wife thinks that I need to be on antidepressant, but then they stop it after two weeks. You know, you, you put them on Prozac, put them on Zoloft, you put them on Lexapro. The you know the SSRIs, the SSNRIs, they take two, four, six, eight weeks sometimes to have their full efficacy. And I think you know, there's there's that that, that that's where I think that victim mentality and also a lot of times self sabotage. That there's there's almost a comfort in being dysfunctional so think of it like dysfunctional comfort it sounds very ironic but there's a plethora of people who really espouse to that and and it 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 gets frustrating because these are really tough individuals to work with because there's obviously a problem but i can't i can't want it more than you i cannot want to, to change i cannot want to do the work more than an individual does and it it becomes very very frustrating when you deal with like you know again a non clinical term people with industrial strength psychopathologies whether that's borderline whether that's bipolarity whether that's depression whether that's anxiety these are the individuals that you know they they even enter the mental health system but they're not doing the work you know they're not taking their meds consistently they're in and out of psychiatric hospitals. They're, you know, going through, they're, they're blown through therapists because a lot of times the therapists are telling them or are calling them out on 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 their nonsense. And, you know, then they just, they, they sit idly by and they blame. The mental health system sucks. Nobody understands me, yada, yada, yada. You know, play me, play me the sore violin. You know, that's why I, I, patients I work with, it's like, if I'm gonna see you for therapy, you need to convince me that you are ready to do the work. So, um, again, I think it was a, it was a great uh, interaction with this individual talking about, you know, somebody who's clearly suffering. I don't know what, you know, specific psychopathology that the individual that they were referring to has, but I, I, I completely get it. And this is sometimes where, 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 where spouses, where, where children, where family members, where friends are like, look, I'm done. I've tried to get you to go to AA. I've tried to get you in with a prescriber. I've tried to help you get in with a therapist or, or, or multiple therapists. These individuals are, are very toxic and they're very, very difficult to work with. And that's why they're help rejectors. They will sometimes even say they want help. And I think a lot of times there's a secondary gain. I'm going to get help because if I don't, then my girlfriend is going to leave me. That, 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 that's a ridiculous reason to get into therapy because again, you're not uncomfortable. Your motivation is I'm just going to go and show up and tell you some version of what I'm experiencing, what I'm dealing with because I don't really want to admit to myself and you know we'll do an episode on the defense mechanisms i'm not a freudian but i think the defense mechanisms um you know Freud was wrong on a lot of things but i do have a lot of respect for him because he was the first person to come up with an actual psychological model to explain human behavior and the id ego superego i think ridiculous but at that time period as i said before i think you know in a hundred years they're gonna look back and people look back and say like okay what they're doing now in 2021 that was kind of archaic and that's why you know people sometimes are, are in such shock and awe, awe? excuse me shock and awe of when they watch like you know documentaries on Bellevue hosing down patients locking them up sedating them to the point where they're just just drooling you, you, you know it's, it you know you can easily do an ad hoc analysis but at that point in time, you're only able to work with the knowledge, the information, and the research research and data that you have at that point in time. But I think we, we have a pretty solid model that has been proven over and over again with, with cognitive behavioral therapy, psychotropic medications. The combination of the two leads to the most efficacious results, some shorter than others. But the most efficacious result in the treatment of pretty much every psychiatric condition, I would probably say, except from the neurodegenerative disorders like Prion's disease, uh, dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's, Lewy body. These are the brain is, is slowly disintegrating, and there's only so much that you can do. But with the other disorders, you know, Crimey River, you know, I'll listen to, you. I'll, I'll, I will be empathic with you, but. I'm not going to work with you if I'm doing more work than you're doing. So if, you're, if you have a, if it's yourself, if, if it's a family member, if it's a friend, if it's a child, you cannot want it more than them. And you also have to be able to get to a place where you exempt yourself from feeling guilt and feeling bad. And I want to make a clear differentiation between guilt and feeling bad. And Adler's definition, I think I mentioned this in one of the other episodes early on Adler's definition of guilt was guilt is nothing more than the good intentions that you never had. All right. What does that mean? It means that if I'm in a certain situation, what are the societal expectations that I am supposed to, uh, be demonstrative, uh, verbalize, uh, act a certain way but guilt there really is no emotional connection versus feeling bad is the individual who committed some perceived transgression actually does have an emotional connection to whatever behavior or words that they what are you doing all right julie swatting flies suddenly she's into zoology oh oh it It's fine, anyhow, so on that topic of help rejectors, um, you know, you got to figure out what's you and what's the other person, and also realize you know I can I can and, and have a sense of satisfaction that if you're trying to help somebody who just is not ready to get help, not to personalize it. You, you, you can be there for support, but don't allow their psychopathology to impact your life if they're not willing to actively work on it. All right. Another great, con- I think this was a conversation I had with somebody who was driving cross country. Um, and I think Julie might want to speak to some of this. Um, we hear this term a lot. I have intrusive thoughts. I have racing thoughts. Now, racing thoughts we put generally in the category of the bipolar disorders. Bipolar 1, Bipolar 2, uh, and what's called cyclothymic disorder so racing thoughts is essentially an individual will will report that my i cannot shut my mind off i am jumping from topic to topic to topic I'm, st- I'm i'm starting this project that project this project that project on and on and on and their minds are are so constantly active those are racing thoughts intrusive thoughts are the cognitive are, are, are Cognitions that you know, if you look at the word intrusive, it's it's synonymous with unwanted. I'm plagued by this repetitive thought, and and working with individuals with intrusive thoughts, you you, you want to really kind of figure out. There's generally a theme. There's generally a a theme of of, uh, whether it's I have thoughts of suicidality, I have have thoughts of homicidality, I have thoughts of self-harm, I have thoughts that I'm I'm not good enough, I'm I'm not skinny enough, I'm not smart enough. Intrusive thoughts are not positive, to to, to just kind of give you the bottom line intrusive thoughts um they come to us all none of us are 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 really immune to intrusive thoughts and they're intrusive in the sense of like the individual does not want to think of them but if you look from like a behavioral perspective there's kind of an irony to this all behavior even thinking is purposeful okay whether it's adaptive, maladaptive, healthy, unhealthy, socially appropriate, socially inappropriate, we will only continue to engage in a behavior or a thought pattern because it gives us value. It seems, here that's where the irony is. So even something as destructive as, I'm afraid that, if I'm in this situation, I'm gonna have this type of thought. can be one incredibly paralyzing, perplexing. and also at the same time, um, you know, I can use the term like analysis paralysis, like you know, just really overthinking it. But intrusive thoughts uh, are not, at least in my experience, I I don't think I've ever had a patient who said I have intrusive thoughts that are are positive. Um. So the intrusive thoughts is really something that if you're struggling with is really dealt with on a therapeutic level. I don't know if Julie wants to comment at some point on medication because I know this is a common thought. I think we get it a lot. Would you say, in Julie, with bipolarity, intrusive thoughts, OCD? OCD. This is, is another one, you know. I, I my hands dirty. My hands dirty. My hands dirty. My room is ugly. My room is disorganized. My papers are all over the place. You know, and these thoughts they, they come. Like thoughts. That is an intrusive thought.
1: Intrusive thoughts are intrusive thoughts are uninvited thoughts. These are thoughts that um, generally, I, in my experience, have that are more common than you realize. I have intrusive thoughts. I I do have them. Um, I I fortunately live near the the water, but I unfortunately saw Jaws, and I'm obsessed with shark movies, okay? So uh, my son has a boat. And when i we go out on the boat or I think about being out on the boat, it's like the the best thing ever. It's like so much fun you're out th- out there in the water and I mean it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a very simple boat. It's nothing you know a lab is not a yacht, but it's it's like being outside and near in nature and just being with you know your family. It's all good. I'm just giving you a perfect example. I will think of that later on think of what? and then I will think of like, oh, that was so great. Uh, That was so great. We had such a great time and oh, it was the perfect day. The weather was perfect. And then all of a sudden a shark jumps out of the water and eats us. I mean, this is, this is a real intrusive thought that I have. I've worked with so many people who talk about intrusive thoughts and like, it's usually around the obsessive compulsive end of things where it's so, it's, yes. And it is, it's typically negative. I've, I've never heard anybody report a happy thought, but. Sometimes people will literally they're usually directed toward other people. I've worked with new parents who have had these thoughts toward their ch- their N- newborns like, you know, like like postpartum depression it's like they're worried about the most horrible thing that could possibly happen it's anxiety so they they're thinking oh my god what could be the most horrible situation and and then it just kind of the groundwork's laid out in their brain and and it's it, it pops out of nowhere i've worked with parents who have struggled with this like i don't want to hurt my child and they would never hurt their child and What if
0: i kill my child what if i suffocate my child because there's Screaming and crying or, at night. What what if I molest my child? Stuff like that. Yeah. You know, things that have never even
1: happened. It's are- it's off the charts, the thought process. It's very and it's very lonely. Um people don't like I said, this with this this what I want to do is not saying that it's a normal thing, because I hate normal, but it's more common than you than you realize. Um, but it's anxiety that's manifested. And I've had people tell me that they have they keep Thinking these intrusive thoughts of running into an oncoming car, not because they're suicidal, but or a family member running into traffic or pushing somebody into traffic, not necessarily homicidal people or suicidal people, but just that the most horrible thing that you can imagine happening. They're they're very and it plays in your mind, and it and it's like a it's like a it's like a scene in a movie. And, in a, and it pops out of nowhere, and it plays, and then it really contributes to so much anxiety because people feel extremely and literally helpless. So how,
0: so how do you medicate that?
1: SSRIs.
0: So Prozac will just stop? and Antidepressants.
1: Interest- that's in high doses, usually. They, they, they wind up... Um, Zoloft is uh, FDA-approved for treatment of OCD, Prozac... Um, they used to use clomipramine. Um, that was a TCA, but they don't use it so much anymore. Some do, but they don't really because of and the TCA's side effects. TCA's are
0: tricyclic antidepressants.
1: We'll Thank you, Cor. Well, um, you can't eat meat. You can't eat cheese. You can't,
0: you know. No, oh, no you, that's, you that's, 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 that's the MAOIs.
1: So you stay in your lane and I'll <laughs> stay in mine. I'm just trying to help you. Okay. Well, anyway, so... And apparently th- a
0: lot of you guys, from your feedback, love the banter between Julie and I because we agree on so much,
1: but we disagree on a lot of things, so... core likes to interrupt a lot. So anyway, usually it's high doses of an SSRI. Um, they You can use SNRIs, but again, you it's it's very interesting. Like, for the anxiety disorders, typically we're looking at lower doses of antidepressants. I said that in an earlier episode because we're chasing serotonin or we're chasing norepinephrine. Um, with the OCD, you know, diagnosis, we're generally looking at like the highest dose possible. So for that, sometimes what people will do is go higher than the therapeutic dosage that's recommended. Um, it really is just such a um, a touch and go kind of thing. So like Luvox, uh, is I believe personally really great for OCD. Um, you know, it makes people, it slows people down. So it's good to take it in the evening. It's not activating. Um, generally you're trying to get up to doses of 200 on that. I could be wrong. Again, it depends on who you're asking. Um, some people are just anti Luvox. Um, Zoloft is a brilliant medication. I, I, Prescribe it all the time to people who have anxiety. Um, but then you get the I weight
0: gain. It, then it makes people more depressed.
1: It doesn't cause weight gain. Core again, your lane, my lane. Oh my god! Um, but anyway, just to touch upon that, I, just to kind of not normalize, not normalize. Um, you know what? OCD intrusive thoughts. Someone asked us to address this, and and I agree. Um, there are some things we haven't addressed. We are going to, um, do a really cool show, I think, on coming up on bipolar, bipolarity, bipolar disorder. Um, and I think that that might be maybe two shows long, even, but I just wanted to just kind of shed some light. And those aren't the only two medications that you can use or three medications that you can use. Talk to your prescriber. Again, don't be shy about the intrusive thoughts. And it really is true about there are people who are help rejectors. Um, there are people who don't have a lot of insight into how impaired they are. So it's sometimes family members, people closest to us, uh, you know, partners, children that will tell us, hey, are you all right? It's when they're, you have that, are you all right talk? Um, you know, when people are suffering, they think they're suffering in silence. And sometimes it doesn't go unnoticed. So there are people who yeah are self help self help rejectors. Um they're they're pain to work with. Um but you know what it you know change is you know sometimes people have to hit rock bottom. Um and sometimes they think they hit rock bottom there and they these, really the didn't. they
0: also come in and say after 2 weeks being on Prozac my meds are working and they want another med. They want another med. And, Again, the, and it's then it just, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy like oh nothing can help me. And they blame the field of psychology and psychiatry without any insight. Into but you're going to own-
1: have people like that no matter what you're doing, whether you're mowing their lawn or whether you're, you know, um, I don't know, their interior decorator. Not that I have one, but just, I mean, people will find fault if they're fault finders. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, you know, having, struggling with something, people don't generally raise their hand and wave their hand. It's when their boss notices that they're distracted at work. It's when a teacher or professor notices or, you know, a a classmate notices that something's just not right. Hey. Or a spouse
0: or a family member,
1: a brother or a sister. That's what I just said. Like someone's starting to withdraw. And and just because people notice that there's something wrong with someone else doesn't mean that person is ready to be. But the
0: help rejecter will automatically become defensive and say, I don't have a problem or i have the problem under control you know they, they 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 project again this is one of the defense mechanisms they what they they project onto other people that you know and, and, and minimize and it could be very frustrating for people who are involved in that individual's lives who clearly have an undiagnosed psychiatric condition no one should be surprised what I'm going to say next. Get a full neuropsych eval to know what exactly it is. And I, and I, I have found in the help rejectors that actually come and are actively engaged in doing a full neuropsych eval, when I give them a 60, 70, 80, 90, 100-page eval outlining their psychopathology, they have a really hard time disagreeing with the data. Because it's in black and white. It lays it out with such specificity. Yes. And it, like Julie said, in the background, she turned put, starting a fire in the fireplace. Um, it, they say, yeah, that makes sense. But that doesn't mean, you know, it's like the alcoholic saying, oh, you know what? You know what, Doc? I admit I have a problem with alcohol. But. They have no inclination of changing. It's just that simple re, Simple acknowledgement is like they're exempt from any form of responsibility. And these people will generally not, I don't know what the right word is. They, At least from my perspective, they will incite um, a level of frustration in your treatment provider. It's like, look, okay, you're acknowledging it, but you want to do nothing about it how how can i help you you know why why am i am why am i going to show up every week and why are you going to show up every week to 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 talk about something that you're willing to do nothing about you know like julie said hitting rock bottom i think that that's different and idiosyncratic for every individual so you know the, 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 this episode was more in response to like i you know my conversations um texting and and communicating um uh, orally with people um again i love the feedback i love when people reach out and say hey can you talk about this can you talk about that but if you are in a position with somebody who is experiencing uh intrusive thoughts if you are with somebody who is a help rejecter you can only do so much you can not you cannot want it more than they do and there are tools psychotherapeutic tools psychopharmacological tools that will help people but they oh all right
1: well i'm just in, interrupting a little bit there's something and you, and you that you bothered tell, you, me you tell me that i interrupt um when i was talking i believe in the last uh, two episodes ago we were talking about how to get help. Um, it's very difficult for family members who have somebody in their family that's truly suffering. Sometimes it's very hard to get people into any kind of care whatsoever. What I forgot to mention, which is so crucial, is tell your primary care doctor. I was very much emphasizing, you know, go to the ER, or go to a partial day program to try to expedite getting in with a therapist and getting in with a med provider. Um, sometimes you have to go that higher level of care to get into the actual outpatient level of care because the wait lists are so long everywhere. And this seems to be happening across the United States. So we're getting a lot of feedback from you guys. And thank you for that. People are reaching out from all over. So definitely talk to your primary care doctor about, about this. Um, the other thing I want to mention too is that, you know, neuropsych evals can be done via telehealth too. Um, if you want, we have people who fly in for the, you know, in person telehealth, um, not telehealth, uh, evals, but we also can accommodate people via telehealth. So, uh, depending on insurance and, all that. So just wanted to put that out there too. So don't feel like helpless because you live in, you know, Idaho and you don't think you can afford to come out here. If you have, you know, a, an insurance that we take, um, you know, it, it it's, it's worth looking into. I'm just saying um, in terms of the neuropsych evals, I know it's very hard to wrap, wrap your mind around it. It's very hard for anybody, even professionals, I've had people in, in my field going, I don't understand what, like, tell me more. Tell me what this really means. And Chorus says, you know, it could be 38 pages. It could be 68 pages. And anyway, I, as a provider, I just want to know what's going on so I can help somebody. Um, usually there's something going on. Um, it's very rare that there isn't something going on, but at least you can narrow it down. And I feel like the people that I work with that have had testing done, Yeah, it's maybe sometimes they're getting news that they didn't expect, but most people are like, I get it. It totally makes sense. This is exactly how I feel. This is exactly how I've been feeling. And it's always been over a decade. I mean, these it's people suffer for way too long before they get help. And if you are struggling with people who are in your life who aren't getting help, then you get help. You know, ask your primary care doctor. Maybe they can refer you to somebody just so you can have a place to put it. Because it can f- feel really frustrating and it can feel really, you know, I don't know, just added support is always helpful, I think.
0: I, I use the term like psychological constipation, whether that's if you're a patient or you're a you know somebody on the outside with an individual in your life, if you don't get that out, just as if we're physically constipated. Until it comes out of one of two places, not to be graphic, you're going to remain nauseous. From a psychological, psychiatric perspective, if if you don't get it out and be able to put that somewhere in a healthy place in a in a in a, in a, a safe, friendly, therapeutic environment, it will come out. I guarantee you, it will come out in destructive ways, either towards. That individual in your family, towards yourself, towards your spouse, towards your children, but you are not responsible to make other people better. People have to take an accountability for their own mental health. They have to take an accountability and they have to be held responsible. Responsibility in in, in mental health because people are not allowed to be destructive. They are not allowed to just destroy people's lives without any sense of responsibility or culpability. It's it it's frustrating, it's it it's aggravating because there are tools. I have access to so many tests to figure out exactly what's wrong with you. And if you don't want to come see me, quote unquote me as a neuropsychologist or or one in your area, then you know what? Tough. You know, suffer in silence, but don't don't allow someone's misery who is not willing to look with inside themselves to impact you your family, your friends, your entire life. So I know this topic, I try to cover two broad topics because these were really two deep conversations. I try to merge them together. Hopefully we've done a good job at that. I'm sure this is something we will revisit as we get into you know the specific disorders. Um, but as always, uh, it, it, this is a great just a great privilege and a pleasure to, for Julie and I to be able to impart our knowledge, our training, our wisdom, and also, you know, just whatever we can offer to improve the quality of mental health. Um, whether it's in the United States, the world, if one of our sentences, one of our words resonate with you, that's all we're looking for. Nothing in return that this is done out of just, just pure passion. Um, so as always, reach out to me at psychology Today, email me, psychologyunplugged at outlook.com, call, text, my, my private cell phone number, 617-750-9411. I will respond to you as quickly as possible. As I said, I think Julie and I both agree we do our modest version of God's work uh, to the best of our ability. We're perpetual students, perpetual learners. And, um, hopefully we're making an impact and a difference and are there for you every step of the way until next week, be well and talk to you guys then. All right. Bye.